0: Our history includes people very freely making decisions about other people's bodies because what they believe is that the folks that they're deciding for, women, Black people, Indigenous people, Puerto Ricans, are lesser, that they don't deserve the ability to make decisions for themselves. And we reject that. I reject that wholesale. It's the Latinos Out Loud podcast.
1: It is that time here on the Latinos Out Loud podcast where we interview someone amazing. I say it every week. I say it every time. If I had a penny for every time I said the word amazing, well, I'd be taking everybody out to Seafood City and buying everybody henny coladas. All right? I am How so excited. to <laughs> Henny colada sounds amazing. You know about henny coladas? I don't even drink henny, but if it's that kind of night, I would do a henny colada. Has to be like a hot summer night, and the mm. mood has to be right. Okay, look, I'm not going to yes, rhyme. But Here is a
0: white henny? Because white oh! henny is like...
1: <laughs> henny white? Yo, but Annalilia, henny white used to be like the thing, right? Like you used to go to the airport, yeah. duty-free. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, I'm going to cop like five bottles, sell the meat mm. for like five... like I don't know and then you like really do like your research on Henny White and it's like not really worth all that no but it tastes like wine like but it's a good mixer
0: but it's a good mixer it's like
1: that's that's a wait what do you before we get into this what do you mix your Henny White with I'd like to know
0: so well one um, you just gave me Henny Coladas so I'm totally going to do that I have to admit that I'm one of those like, what can I put either cranberry juice, pineapple juice or bonus points if I do both? And Ooh. make it taste like juice.
1: <laughs> I love a good pineapple cranberry thing, like a mix. That's a good concoction. Mm. Mm. All right, guys, we could talk about the bar, but right now I wanna talk about yes. how my guest is raising the bar, okay? She love is the co executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy Action. Please welcome Ana Lilia Mejia to Latinos Out Loud. <laughs> Insert applause. Woo hoo! Yes. yes! I will do my, my Guida. Yes! <laughs> Ana Lilia, but welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to have you. You know, I had to cancel this week with you, and I am so sorry. Uh, I, I'm a mom, and I keep it really real. Sure. I was at the school uh, at the bake sale. It was running late and I was just like, okay, I got to make an executive decision or I have to dip on these cupcakes. So I decided yeah. to not dip on the cupcakes and
0: I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't on you. dip on the cupcakes. No, no. Nah. You know what? We like when we think about what it is that we do and why we do it, our children and living up to commitments to them always should take precedent because you know, you and I could reschedule, but those kids are going to be picking your nursing home and your <laughs> and supporting you through your your later years. So you made the right
1: choice. Thank you, <laughs> nursing home. Ain't nobody better paloka no nursing home, okay? With that's all the right. STDs that's out there in the nursing homes and all of that. Please, please, kids, when you hear this episode of Mommy's in like a long time from now, Mommy doesn't want to go to a nursing home, okay? <laughs> and if you're going to put me in a nursing home, it's got to be like. Lit, 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 and STD-free. Okay, check it out. Maybe like a nursing home in Washington Heights or something like that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. The palladium
0: equivalent of a nursing home, yes.
1: Yes! Oh, my God. I know all about the palladium. I was there every week. Yo, for real? 14th Street? Like, oh, my gosh, wait. Were we clubbing at the same time? It is.
0: No, no, I'm older than you, definitely.
1: I don't know. Although, yeah. Oh.
0: like moving on okay no, we'll, we we'll so talk like- about that
1: off air. <laughs> but we gotta talk i introduced you and told the loleros your title but i mm. don't think that does what you do any justice huh, no pun intended you know what i'm saying <laughs> but if you could could you give yes. your title some justice and tell us what you do yeah. and tell us about the center for popular
0: democracy acción Okay. All right. So the Center for Popular Democracy is a network of power building, base building organizations. And before I explain what that even means, let me start by saying there are different types of organizations in in our environment. You have some organizations that are charity organizations. They give people something, right? No questions asked, here you go. Goodwill, uh, Salvation Army is an example. Then you have other organizations that are self-help organizations. They have a theory, they have some resources, and they they give an individual um, some support, but they got to figure it out on their own, right? Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is an example of it. Mm. Uh, then you have other organizations that are advocacy organizations and that is an organization where you have a quote unquote expert or someone with gravitas, whatever that means because I feel like I'm an expert in like, you know, like growing up poor in New Jersey. Um, but there's no organization on that, not that I think of. Wow. Um, but anyway, you have advocacy organizations that advocate on behalf of people. And then you have power building, base building organizations that say, you know what, you the, the theory, the ideas, the power to liberate yourself, to navigate these systems, to call out injustice, to build towards fairness is already in you. And what you need is not for me to advocate for you, but for me to help create the space to empower you to make the demands that you wish to seek, that you wish to see in the world. And so CPD is a network across the country of 48 organizations who who are in community, working with people to identify and call out the problems that that prevent them from really flourishing and give them the tools, the space, the resources, and the ability to advocate a path for themselves. So we bring leaders up to to DC and they talk to their members of Congress and we convene people into trainings or, or community blitzes where they talk to their own neighbors about what is happening. We empower people to lead themselves towards what we see is the, you know, the, the true purpose and intention of a nation that says it believes in equity and freedom, but for, you know, hundreds of years has lived and practiced the opposite. So uh, that's that's what CPD is in a nutshell. It's we build power with people, not for people, not by people, not through people, but with people.
1: Did you say that you work with 48 different organizations? That's incredible.
0: 48 different organizations across this country building power with people and improving their lives, like, step by step, build power. How, how do you find these
1: organizations? Or maybe I should say, how do the organizations find you?
0: So I, I began my tenure at CPD at the beginning of last year, 2021, but CPD has actually, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. Uh, It was uh, at inception, it was a, a combination of organizations from the former ACORN, uh, this was another base building, power building organization across the country that was helping empower working class, working poor people, particularly around housing, but all sorts of economic justice issues and um, uh, it, and other organizations who were all focused on this concept of, I don't need you to advocate for me. I need, I need help navigating this so I can advocate for myself. Um, so we have a history. It's like the amalgam of organizations that predated us, that that wanted to stay together and do this work. And then as we have gone out into the space, connecting with folks, developing trainings, we have identified opportunities to sometimes build new organizations. And, and word of mouth, I guess uh, we, you know, we, we have organizations that reach out to us and say, you know, I'm interested in in affiliating with CPD. I want to be part of this network of of organizations who have clarity of purpose and that are really focused on building up people and their power to to unlock freedom for themselves.
1: Yeah, that's why I brought it up, because I feel like in our audience may lie someone who works for an organization that could align with your organization. So I always want to open up that line and be like, okay, this is how you guys out there, the LOLeros, could take action yourself. Love it. Connect with Ana Lilia and the organization and let's grow that. Yes. Let's grow that number from 48. So, okay, let's get a little more granular at this point. So on January 19th, we all know the Supreme Court released a report uh, just three days before the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And they uh, there was uh, the report on the Dobbs leak, right? Where I think it was over 80 people received the communication and either printed it out and showed it to their loved ones. And, you know, I would love to, like, talk about this issue that we saw in the news. I love, love when we get an expert on the show because... We here at Latinos Out Loud talk about, I mean, yes, comedy and all that stuff. That's so. That's like the sazon. The comedy is the <laughs> seasoning. We talk about the topics. We talk about the issues. We talk about the things that affect the Latino community. So yes, we brought up Roe v. Wade, the overturning. We bring up women's reproductive rights on the show often. I often talk about my infertility journey and how, honestly, if abortion was not an option to me, having had a, um, pregnancy with a genetic abnormality, I would be in a very different situation today. I stutter a little. I get, I, I share in that. Throat. I shared
0: that experience with you. I, I am a mother of two boys and between my oldest, who's 11 and my six year old, I, I was found myself happily pregnant I was one of those moms that was, you know, exercised my choice and I wanted to have minimal intervention. I wasn't interested in having a bunch of sonograms and tests and poked and prod. I had had a baby before. It was a healthy baby. It was a healthy pregnancy. I felt like I could do it again. Um, I was working with my, with my midwives. And then about at 20 weeks, I had my first ultrasound and I found out that I in fact was pregnant with a child, very much wanted, um, as well as a tumor. Um, it was essentially a very a, a freak, uh, one of those um, you know rare medical occurrences where it was a twin fetus and molar pregnancy, and the only real option I had to protect my health and to be to uh, to put. You know, to use my mother's words, to be around for my oldest child and perhaps see the face of my future children was to terminate that pregnancy at about 20 weeks. And if I wouldn't have had that as an option, and if I would have had to have a discussion about it between myself and my doctor, and as per Dr. Oz, some politician, I wouldn't be here today. My youngest wouldn't be here today and it was a 1000% both my right and my responsibility to care for myself my body and my family and that was the right choice and by the way that was the second time i had to make a decision about terminating a pregnancy when i was when i was much younger i also found myself pregnant but this time i wasn't ready to have a child i wasn't ready financially emotionally uh, in any way shape or form and i decided to terminate that pregnancy and i am glad that i did because again the person i am today would not be here and i do not find or see a distinction between the one the one decision the one choice decision where i was protecting my life from a tumor and the other decision where i was protecting my life from an unplanned pregnancy There is no difference. And so women, you know, the idea, I call it what it is. We have a party and we have a lot of men and some women who believe in forced pregnancy, who believe that they may force us to make decisions about our bodies. And we have seen this before, right? We have already, we live in a nation whose history includes forced pregnancy of the enslaved, We have a nation who has believed in forced sterilization of of black communities, indigenous communities, Latino communities. All right. Puerto Rican so, women. Puerto Rican yeah. women. Like oh Fannie Lou Hamer talks about the Mississippi appendectomy. What was that? Forced sterilization. So we we already know that we our history includes people very freely making decisions about other people's bodies because what they believe is that the folks that they're deciding for, women, black people, indigenous people, Puerto Ricans, are lesser, that they don't deserve the ability to make decisions for themselves. And we reject that, I reject that wholesale.
1: No, I, you know, this, my gosh, I wish I didn't have this like rock in my throat. This is a subject that like really, it's very close to me. I also had more than one abortion. I miscarried twice after my first son was born. You know, once, you know, I was once told by doctors that my oven was broken and that I should look into Mm. surrogacy or adoption, but with faith and una botella de embarazo from Santo Domingo, te lo juro por mi madre, (laughs) some concoction that like an uncle's friend's tía brought wrapped in (laughs) aluminum foil in her maleta. Mm which I took a shot of every <laughs> night, uh, gave me my firstborn. And so once I realized the oven wasn't mm-hmm. as broken as the Que De se, I was like, let's let's create mm-hmm. another life together. But I lost two. And with those two, I required DNCs. Mm-hmm. I was hospitalized. They were painful AF. Mm-hmm. Out of all the miscarriages that I've experienced, Ana Lilia, and thank you for opening up this conduit because I feel really comfortable talking about this with you right now. I I miscarried twice after my first was born, but I uh, miscarried twice before as well. So I'm I lost sorry. a bunch of pregnancies. Oh, I, I I'm I'm so strong these days. I. I had developed such a thick skin about this. There was a time where I couldn't say three words about this topic without bursting into tears and just like ripping my pillow apart. But now I need to talk about it because Mm -hmm. I need to empower other women. I need to share my stories. I can't believe the immense strength that I even get back in exchange after you know, breaking through with a woman, some that I know, some that I don't know, some that just hear my podcast or see my posts on Instagram or learn about the work that I did with the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the advocacy stuff that I do around this topic. And they just send me their stories. And I'm just like, that's all I need. That's, that's... All I need. So I can imagine the work that you do because this is on a mass volume. This is Mm. a mass scale. I'm just talking about connecting with some women and mainly on social media. But I think your work is incredible. So I want to get back to the action that your organization took based on the release, on the Dobbs leak, the reports. What were some of the things that were put in place? What are some of the things that we... Regular Juanas and Josefas can do to get involved as well. Loaded so, question.
0: I, I, there's so much there. I'm just gonna go wherever, wherever, whatever feels yummy. So go. I I will say. <laughs> You know the the Dobbs decision and and what we anticipate will be other decisions. I mean this this concept of originalism, constitutional originalism, is so dangerous. And and if there's one thing I want your listeners to be paying attention to, is those words and what it means when when of you know all people, Clarence Thomas starts talking about constitutional originalism. What they're, what they're saying is they want to adhere to the intentions of the, the founders and framers of the constitution. Well, let's bring ourselves back to the mindset of those framers and let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. They believed that white men, landowning white men were, had supremacy. They believed that they should be the ones to make decisions They were the only ones that counted as people. And so they were comfortable saying all men are created equal because to them, men meant land-owning white men. And so the originalism from jump cuts out women, people of color, and the poor. So when we hear, oh, we should be mindful of originalism and the founders, the founders, the, the founder's mindset or intention, what we're saying is we want to go back to a time that we are comfortable. What they are saying is that they are comfortable going back to a time where you, me, our children, our communities had zero rights. They weren't even people. That's one. Right, and this was circa 1787, right? I know. Okay. Just it's, to put a time frame on
1: Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like, all Put right, a time like, frame on it. It's like so, so
0: let's start. Exactly. So like 1700s, mid 1700s. And, and that's what that's the mindset we want to go back to. The other thing to be to I would love for your listeners to be paying close attention to is this is not this is this isn't even the first attempt at stripping communities of the rights that they have gained. We have seen this play out before in our nation. When you consider, for example, that our nation is founded with this hypocrisy. There's no other way to call it. That hypocrisy comes to a head during the civil war, right? This idea, all men are created equal unless you this and you that and whatever. And it comes to a head during the civil war there, we, there is a tension, a political tension happening in this time within the Republican Party where centrists like Abraham Lincoln are like, you know what? We're going to fight this war. Maybe we'll free the slaves. Perhaps we should send them back to Africa. That was the centrist position. And then you had the radical Republicans who were like, no, we should actually live up to all men are created equal, right? We should have full emancipation. We should uh, take intentional steps as a federal government to correct the injustices done to communities. The radicals won. The radicals for 12 years, we have reconstruction in the United States. The radical Republicans said, we are going to make investments in education. We are going to ensure that Black men have the franchise. We are going to create economic mobility for the formerly formerly enslaved. And what happens? For 12 years, you have a flourishing of Black economy. You have thousands of Black men running and winning office. You have senators elected. You have federal senators, members of Congress, and state House, state house and Senate representatives. For 12 years, when you, when you are intentional with this policy, justice can flourish. What happens? 1876, you have a contested election where the Republican Party and the Democratic Party strike a deal, and they say Republicans, the party of Lincoln, is going to strike a deal with the Democrats, the former Confederates, on who is going to get the presidency. And they say, Republicans, you could have the presidency, but we want states' rights. We want you to dismantle Reconstruction, remove the federal oversight from our states. What happens? Immediately at the state and local level, laws start moving to systematically disenfranchise anyone that isn't a white man systematically strip away the right to vote, economic mobility, protections. Okay, a 100 years of Jim Crow are ushered in as a result at the state and local level. Because they have that power at the state and local level, they're drawing the maps, essentially deciding who those voters, who, who is going to hold them accountable. Well, let's fast forward to where we are today. You look at Donald Trump saying we have a contested election, right? Republicans say it's a contested election. There's no way to know. I think it was rigged, et cetera. What happens? They're they're doing they're running the same exact play of systematic disenfranchisement. Look at the court cases coming out of the Supreme Court. Like I said, Dobbs is just the beginning. And all of it, you immediately see that it, there is a play in which all of the elements that were necessary to cement the power of the few at the expense of the many are happening right now. Mm-hmm. And we, and so when we talk about originalism and who has power and who has autonomy and the underlying idea that some of us are valuable and some of us are expendable, that is all at play. And the antidote for your listeners, for us, for all of us is we got to be we got to be civically engaged. So that's what we do at CPD. We're like, you know what? When we looked at Dobbs, we were like, we need to get out there. We people need to understand what's happening. What's at play? What's the underlying premise? What are actions that we could take? And we should put and we should use all the tools that are available to us. Voting, civil disobedience, using narrative and and like telling our stories. So thank yes. you for making this space because you are part of that solution. That is, this is how we change.
1: Home. Oh. Uh, <laughs> did you just take notes? I hope you did. You could always rewind on the episode <laughs> and write things down. Um Thank you for sharing all of that, uh, and yes, storytelling. We always talk about that here. It is so important. Whether you have a podcast, you're on your personal Instagram, you're at your school, you're in a work break room. If we don't talk to each other and build each other up and unite, you know, man, I just want to add that as well. That's right. We're not gonna win. We ain't gonna win out there. No. We just not. And we need to fight. Sadly, we need to fight for our rights, not only to party, but also to the rights that are ours as women. Yes. As women, y'all, you know what I'm saying? And shout out to all the like allies we have also fighting the fight. Ana Lilia, you've been featured in so many articles. I just want to shout some of them out because I know the LOLeros are probably just as fascinated with you as I am right now. <laughs> Ana Lilia has been quoted and featured in Essence. We love Essence magazine so much. Um, and that was an article entitled An Attack on Abortion is an Attack on Our Democracy. You can find some information on Analilia on NJ.com. Shout out to Dirty Jersey. <laughs> Shout out to Jersey. Okay. <laughs> and also NPR. There's an interesting piece. It's called What We Know and Don't Know About How Abortion Affected the Midterms. So there's a lot of information out there on Analilia. Um, if I may talk a little personal before we wrap this interview, I'd love to know how and why you got to this this career. How did you how did you end or how did you I don't want to get all Deborah Cox but how did you get here? You know like how
0: <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your
1: past, what you went to school for and yeah. how you ended up being the co-executive director of this incredible organization.
0: Well, first, I I just want to thank you for making the space not only to energize and like move your listeners, but also just making space for these important conversations in a way that's like fun and engaging and not like, Um, I think it's, I can't do that. I can't do the wah, wah, wah. (laughs) I don't even know how, even if I tried. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I'm so grateful for it. Uh, so how did I get here? Let's see. Well, for starters, you know, like many, I, I maybe like many of your of your listeners, you know, I I grew up working poor. I I grew up watching my parents work two and three jobs a piece and not make ends meet. I I watched my mom, you know, struggle and my father try to essentially keep the family um fed and housed and it wasn't always easy and there was a moment when my mother became my mother I'll tell this little story my mom was a lady garment worker um like many like many women who came to this country uh, when she got here she figured out she could sew and she went and worked in a lot of factories um My mom worked actually double shifts. She would clock out of one shift and go into the next factory and clock in. Mm. And she got a call from a friend who told her that someone had just quit a workplace that was unionized, which meant that with that one job, my mom can make enough money to replace the two jobs that she had to work back to back and never see us. right, so my mom heads into New York City. Like I said, I grew up in New Jersey, so it was a train ride over. She had enough money to get into the city, and she essentially talks her way into this job, right? She's like, yo le trabajo, mira, le trabajo el día gratis. She was like, I, I am your guy. I know how to sew. I know that they were like, do you know how to do this? Yes. Do you know how to do that? No, absolutely. Do you know how to run this machine? Yes. And my mom, meanwhile, she's like, I'm going to learn. But she, it was the necessity, right? Like She was like, I am so desperate to, to support my family that, I, that she went out and she was bold and she tried and she gets the job. And then she's like finds herself at Penn Station, New York Penn Station, and she doesn't have the money to go back to Elizabeth. And she tells the story of scanning, scanning the, the train station looking for a friendly face that maybe spoke Spanish and that maybe she could ask if they would help her get home. And she stops a young man, uh, And she tells him, look, I came out here looking for a job. I got the job, but I can't get home. Will you help me? And he asked her, how are you going to come back tomorrow? And she's like, I don't know. Just like God is providing right now, God will provide later. And he gave her enough money to not only get home, but to come back for that job. And to this day, my mother carries It's funny because when you think about inflation, she carries $2 in her pocket and she says she always holds that amount of money or some money in her pocket so that if anyone asks her for help, she has it because that young man changed my family's life because his generosity and we have no idea. She asked him, can I take your address so I could pay you back? He was like, no, it's it was out of the kindness of his heart. But the generosity that this stranger offered my mother set my family onto a different path of economic security. My mother gets this union job. She's able to make ends meet with one job. We, My sister and I benefit from being around our mother much more than we were before when she was working two back-to-back jobs. It completely changed our family. I stopped worrying about food and started dreaming about college. And so when I get to college and graduate school, I was like, I want to be a union organizer because I knew that helping other people, particularly through the labor movement, for me, I could replicate those opportunities for people I would never meet. And I wanted to do that. And that set me off on this path of understanding collective action and the power of it, the power of unions and how they transform lives. And this idea that I could plant a seed today that I may never see bear fruit, but it can enrich and feed the world. And it set me off on, I worked for the Working Families Party. Obviously I worked, I was um, Senator Sanders' political director um, on his run for the presidency. It took me to working on the Biden transition team and going into the administration, and now here at CPD, where my focus, me and my colleague, to Mario Cooper's focus, is what can we do today that unlocks the freedom and power and beauty of all of our communities tomorrow? And to the, us, it's organizing, empowerment, moving people, talking to them, and, and treating people with the full humanity that we all deserve. So. That's how I got here, girl. I hope that was <laughs> thorough. <laughs> what, I mean,
1: thorough AF and just a really heartwarming story. It's a very specific story, but I think people listening to it, like myself, whose mother also worked the factory life. My mother would make costume jewelry, mm. so she would have little tweezers and glue and all the little accoutrements onto mm. the thing, and um, she's very creative, my mom, but you know, just to all of us hearing that story, it's relatable. That's the beautiful immigrant experience. Mm. That's what this country could really thrive on. If we just take that one example of lending a hand, if you have that hand to lend,
0: mm-hmm. you know what I'm
1: saying? Mm-hmm. How much you can change a community.
0: mm mm-hmm. That's, right. Sounds, like That's your, right.
1: sounds like your organization is doing that. It's so amazing how you drew the parallel from that beautiful and heartwarming <laughs> and touching story about your mom to what you do today for the world. I'm
0: sure she's super proud. That's well, really? she's like, mija, pero, ¿tú estudiaste tanto para trabajar tanto? <laughs> 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 and I'm like, yes. That's, That's how it trauma. is. That's how it is. forward. They
1: want us. They want us to like have it easier. You know what I'm saying. That's so what it's it like she probably sees yeah. you with all those, you know, the hours and the traveling and everything that you put in. Hi, Ana Lilia, what a pleasure it is speaking with you. Thank you. Okay, Likewise. I like to ask. I like mm-hmm. to ask this last question, especially yeah. of guests. Um, a lot of our guests, like yourself, are visionaries mm. and are carving their own path. You know, you're out there. I see you. You got, you know, your sledgehammer, the machete on the side. You I You know, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I would love to know if you have any words of advice for the LOLeros out there who are maybe political science majors mm-hmm. or, like, looking to get into a career of advocacy or, or anything that you've done in your past lives. What are some words of advice that you have for them as a Latina? maneuvering this space just if you could even talk to like
0: younger Analilia, Lilia what mm-hmm. would you tell her yeah, my my number one advice really is actually I gave this advice to someone just today actually and that is you know you my mom would say this uno no nace sabiendo right like no one is born knowing and Sometimes we find ourselves in spaces where you know, we perhaps didn't, don't have the benefit of um, a particular education or connections or history. And, and we could see, we could find ourselves in a space in which we then feel lesser because we don't know as much as perhaps our peers or how our peers present right? I will tell you, I suffered from this a lot. I would find myself often the only um, black or brown woman in a space surrounded by mostly white men who seemed very confident in what they were saying and would traffic in the relationships that their, you know, more affluent upbringing or more connected upbringing offered them. And in those spaces, I found myself silencing myself, being afraid to sound stupid and therefore being quiet. And it didn't serve me, but you know, I was also clear that saying the wrong thing or not understanding could also harm me. And I had the benefit and I guess the borrowed wisdom of frankly, many women who came before me and they offered to tutor, counsel, guide to be a space in which I could ask the quote unquote dumb question or just understand how things work or the background so that when I came back into those spaces, I was better equipped. And so the advice there is we got to find, you got to find your teaching village. You got to find your mentorship circle and, and, Have a space in which you can ask the things that maybe are difficult to say in in professional spaces, but are necessary for you to understand and learn, for you to advance in this world. And I know that's kind of hard. Sometimes that's hard to do. So I'll give you a little cheat sheet on it. Be unafraid to go back to teachers. Teachers to professors, college professors or high school teachers and say, I don't understand how X or Y or Z works. Do you, can you help me? Do you have friends who work in this space that can maybe give me some counsel? Be unafraid to ask for mentorship. It is extra hard for us. I mean, I could tell you, I could get a lot of mentoring from my community on how to work in a factory, because that's what we all did. And no shame in that, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. But it did it. it was, I had a harder time finding people who knew how to navigate office politics, who knew how to navigate national political spaces, who knew how to navigate the funder the world. And I have been blessed and I have been intentional in asking, even today at my mid forties, I still ask people, will you help me? Will you Sherpa me? Will you help me navigate a space that is unfamiliar to me? Because I know, you remember when you were learning multiplication? Would Would you have been able to master multiplication if someone hadn't taught you addition first? No. It's the same with these spaces. So many of us have been denied because of economic injustice, gender injustice, racial injustice. We have been denied the basics the basic understanding. But if we get it, once we get it, we can multiply like the best of them. So be unafraid, be unafraid, find that mentorship circle. And it's your whole lifetime. Like I said, even at this point in my life, I still have Sherpas who I can go and say, I don't know how this works. Will you tell me? Will you help me? And people will surprise you. Uh, their generosity will surprise you but be unafraid no and and there's no shame in not knowing there's shame in not like trying to find out but there is no shame in not knowing that was so well
1: said that was beautiful you guys (laughs) analilia mejia thank you so much for coming on latinos out loud are you on social media can people follow you
0: Yes. My, um, although I just got hacked y'all, apparently I have. Like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so I will say I'm very specific. My IG is AnaLilia underscore Mejia at, you know, at IG or whatever that is. Um, but more importantly, <laughs> follow CPD, CPD and CPD action pop to Um, I'm sure you'll, you'll be able to, to share it with folks. Um, <clears throat> You know, our organization is is really out there, y'all, just trying to build power for all of us. Um, we 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 very clearly see collective action as the way that we move from the world as it is to the world as it should be. And you know, come along for the ride with us, man. We we could do it together.
1: I love it so much. Thank you for everything that you do and for blessing us with your knowledge today here on LOL. I hope that you'll come back. I will. This was fun. Okay, okay.
0: We got to do a happy hour,
1: Listen, I'll be rolling in Jersey, okay? Because our editor, shout out to Joe Fucarino, He runs an agency. Shout out to Jersey Media. He does all these events out there. Oh, so awesome. I'll be going to Jersey. Also, Elizabeth's got some good shopping. Just saying. That IKEA is like no other. That's okay? true. That's true. <laughs> Ana Lilia, thank you so much thank for you. the time. Thank God you bless. so much. Hello, eleros. What a gift. the Latinos Loud Podcast.